Hi, and welcome to Dutch the Podcast. My name is Mike, and right there is Tom Byfoot. He is the publisher of Dutch the Magazine and, of course, executive producer. I just added that to the list. This oh, great. Of uh, Dutch promotion. The- <laughs> yeah, well done, Tom. Congratulations. Already, after a few podcasts. That's no, great. That's how Hollywood works, Tom. Uh, oh, you're that's here wonderful. today, and, but hang on to that fleeting glory, okay? Because <laughs> okay. uh, it is fleeting, yeah. But thank you very much for leading the way on this, Tom, as we uh, head into Everything Dutch with uh, Dutch the Podcast. Uh, today, as always, an amazing guest, and we'll get Tom to set us up with that. But I'll remind you to subscribe to the show wherever you're catching it right now, uh, including on YouTube, where uh, you can even give us a thumbs up if you like. And uh, you can uh, hit the notification button if you, if you do that uh, kindly. We'll let you know every time a new episode comes up. Uh, all right. Uh, listen, before we go any further... Uh, coming up at the end of the show, we'll talk a little bit about what you can expect in Dutch the magazine uh, that's out on shelves and uh, what's upcoming. But uh, Tom, if you don't mind, maybe this is a very, a very unique episode and quite an opportunity actually for us as listeners to the story. Uh, maybe you could tell us a little bit about today's guest and set the stage. Sure, let's let's do that. So um, we're uh, in our uh, seventh uh, episode of, of Dutch the Podcast, I believe, and uh, people may have been wondering, when are these guys going to talk about the war? Um, because the war, the Second World War, had a great impact on Dutch society, and, and it's still felt uh, today. Well, today is that day, and, and we're talking to someone, uh, a lady called uh, Jenny van Dinter. She lives in uh, Arizona right now, uh, but she lived in a place that was really uh, hit very hard during World War II in the Netherlands because she lived in Arnhem. And now mm. for everyone with a sense of um, historical um, uh, memory uh, would know Arnhem from Operation Market Garden, um, the movie A Bridge Too Far, the book mm. A Bridge Too Far by um, uh, Cornelius, um, Cornelius Ryan. Um, it was a pivotal moment in World War II, and Yenny lived a stone's throw from that bridge that was the bridge too far. Now, I don't want to go into the um, logistical and uh, historical uh, battlefield details. What we're focusing on today, and that was, is something we've done actually for a long time at Mokum Publishing, we're focusing on the ordinary people that had to live through those devastating times of war uh, and destruction and oppression. Um, maybe after we speak to Yeni, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about a project that we did in that respect, um, together with 200 uh, World War II survivors from the Netherlands. Wow. But I'll, we'll get to that at the end of the interview. Um, okay. What I want to emphasize briefly is just the um, the strategic importance of that battle um, yeah, because and, this, and how long it raged. This bridge really, uh, it represents a lot of what was happening in the war at that time, which was control for side of the river. Absolutely. So, so what was happening, D-Day had taken place in June of 1944. The Allied forces were making great headway through France and uh, Belgium, uh, heading towards uh, Northern Europe and heading, of course, eventually towards uh, Germany uh, to defeat, um, defeat Hitler and, and defeat the Nazis. Um, but there were a number of battle lines they had to cross. Well, one of the biggest obstacles were the big wide rivers that uh, cut right through the Netherlands and, and divide the Netherlands in the northern and the southern portion. They had to get their armies across 
those rivers. Well, there's only a few bridges. If you want to move a whole army corps or and whole armies across those rivers, you need the bridges intact. Yeah. So the idea was a British general uh, Montgomery uh, said, we're going to parachute in, we're going to take the bridges, hold the bridges, and then the American forces and the Canadian forces can come up uh, and, and cross those bridges and then um, push into Germany proper, go uh, into the Ruhr area, which is a big industrial area, and then eventually on their way to Berlin, where they uh, could then uh, meet up with the Russians or, or on what later became the East German border. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, uh, the operation started in September uh, of, of 1944, September 17th to be exact. Now, Yeni, who we'll be talking to, lived, as we said, really close to that bridge. Um, the first bridges were taken, but the bridge at Arm- Arnhem, they had a battle, and the battle lasted for 10 days. Wow. And in those 10 days, the people of Arnhem were hiding in their basements, in their cellars, trying not to get killed uh, as the battle was raging well uh, ultimately um the unfortunately the allies had to withdraw and from that point forward holland for uh, almost a year at least through a very uh, severe winter was cut in two there were people on one side of the uh, major rivers and the people on the other side were still on the german occupation in the south they were liberated in the north they were going into one of the harshest winters in in uh, memory in the Netherlands. Uh, and I'll, I'll briefly wrap up after we talk to uh, to Yeni. Um, what Yeni is going to be talking about as well is the fact that she was evacuated from the city after yeah. the, the battle. Um, her house had burned to the ground. Well, I shouldn't give too much away, but let, let's let's have uh, Yeni t- tell her own story. But 80,000 people out of Arnhem were evacuated. 180,000 people in total were told to leave the area uh, and to leave it uh, uh, basically defendable for the Germans. The Germans told them to leave. Um, They burnt down whole city streets to make it easier to defend. Um, The the city of Arnhem was just one big pile of rubble. And in that rubble, Yeni, as a young child, 10 years old at the time, was trying to survive. Let's go to Yeni and then then we'll talk a little uh, after. So today we're talking to Jenny van Dinter. Jenny um, lived in Arnhem uh, when the battle for Arnhem, the famous battle for Arnhem took place. Uh, And she uh, was a young child, of course, at the time, but she's been uh, willing to talk to us about her experiences uh, during the battle and, and also the evacuation that took place afterwards. So thank you very much, Jenny, for uh, wanting to, uh, to join us on this, um, uh, sixth episode of Dutch the podcast. Okay. The, the, so, the thing is, maybe it has really not much to do with it. My my name is Jenny. I'm Dutch. Oh, and okay. I invited with a J because of the language. I should have I should have uh, asked you up front. I'm so sorry, Jenny. Um, and that's how I would say it in Dutch for sure. So I'm glad you corrected me. Thank you so much. Okay. Now, now, Jenny, uh, let's let's just uh, start straight away. Like, how old were you when the war started? In '44, so about we you know we could actually say in 1940. You know, and I was born in '34, so I was six year old when the Germans started to come closer and closer, and finally, you know, moved into Holland. 
That's so, said. so you were about six years old when the Germans invaded. Now, do you have uh, any early memories of of that wartime period? What, what's your oldest uh, memory um, of of life uh, during the German occupation? Um, not much more than um, you heard from your parents. You know that um, you always had to be careful when you saw the German soldiers. And um, so stay away if you could. And in the schools, they started telling us how we had to escape and what we had to do. And, you know, if it was really what 44 became. You, know, you mean uh, escape in case there was uh, was a battle or armed conflict or something like that? Started to learn how the silence were and but normally in the first few years, I don't think that really changed much in, as a six-year-old or seven. Well, as, as a child, of course, you, you, you don't really know. You don't know any different. Essentially, no. it was always there, right? Yeah, right, right. And oh. so, but when 44 came, I mean, and then I was 10, and that was a total different story. Um, yeah, exactly, and and we'll we'll be getting to that in a bit now. Uh, I, I I was uh, wondering about your um, family background. You you live very close to the bridge uh, across the Rhine River, right? Five minutes. <laughs> five minute five minute walk uh, from the bridge. Right. <laughs> now, no, there was one other um, um, thing you told told us about, uh, you wrote a little bit of a uh, memory of the war. Uh, your family had a dog, a dog called King, King. Um, and it disappeared at some point. Can, can you well, talk about was, that? Yeah, it was an English bulldog. And if you look at the picture, you know, you are these big, big, they're very nice dogs, but when you look at them, they look kind of weird. And um, but that was in '44 when it really was uh, coming closer what the Germans wanted and what they did. And my father was always walking the dog in the morning along the river Rhine there. And he came home and there was no kingy. And so we asked what happened. And my father said, well, he didn't feel good. And there was something with his leg. So they took him to the vet. Well, we have never seen him anymore. And actually, when we were evacuated already, we finally heard that there were German soldiers while my father was walking and shot him dead. And because it was English blood, so, so because it was an English breed, the German soldiers shot your family's dog? Yes. And that, the, like I said, I heard that, you know, a year, year later or so. I well, your parent, parents wanted to protect protect you as a child, of course, um, from yeah. that, I understand. Now, now, the other thing I think is important to know is your dad, he was a um, commander in the Voluntary Fire Brigade. Yes, he was. And day and night, especially in that last year, I mean, he was more out of house than in the house, of course. And we had this enormous bell hanging in the middle of, of the hall, you know, and the thing went always off and then he was gone. And but the real 
evacuation started, he was not home either. We yeah, he was already because already there were fires raging, of course. Uh, so, so he 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 was away. Now, um, September seventeenth, nineteen forty-four, is of course the um, the the day that the um, the battle started. Yes. Uh, what what do you remember? Um, that we had to go in the south and uh, we. Took blankets with us, and because we heard uh, soldiers everywhere, and now the church who was behind us and the bridge who was in front of us, I mean, there was a constant uh, shooting between those two from the church and from the bridge. And so my mother said, You know, we go in the cellar and took blankets with us. And we were there for three three days, actually. But and you would have you you would have gone into the cellar before if there was um, air raid uh, sirens going off or alarms. Did did you? Uh... No, not really, not really, because um, the whole house, um, you know, in these old houses, they they even the lowest uh, part. I mean, it's safe, you know. I mean, if nothing would fall in the house like they used to do with the V8s, you know, they were coming into the houses. And so before that, we know there was a cellar, but it was, you know, still we play that sometimes. Yeah, yeah. No, but it, so it's not like you were used to being there. This was yeah. really when the battle started uh, that you fled yeah. into the cellar and, and stayed there. Um, how, how many people were down there? We were just my mother and us, of us, so those four. And one family, our neighbor, they came with two kids as well. But after, I think, one night, he didn't think it was so safe anymore. So he left and they told us to go. But my mother didn't want to go because, you know, she was only with three kids. and. Uh, she said, no, I wait until my father come back. Well, he didn't come back. And so um, then the house was on fire. And Your house was on fire above you. Above us. And we heard constant things falling around. And then the, was, I think, the third day that actually the Germans heard us and they pulled us out of the cellar as for these uh, iron uh, things that you have because we couldn't get the door open anymore. My mother tried the do door from the cellar to the kitchen, but that was blocked already. This big hole. Debris uh, that has fallen from, from the house. Yeah, so they, and to, my mother was screaming from help, help, and uh, two German soldiers who rescued us, they pulled us on our arms right up out of the cellar on the street. And okay. they say, go, go. And I mean, it was, you know, for, the whole street was on fire. So we were there much longer than actually the other families because my mother... I, I read somewhere, I don't know if you know this, uh, Jenny, uh, that the Germans had set fire to whole blocks of houses to, to make space so that they could defend uh, their positions better? Uh, no, I think it was not that they put them on fire. I mean, they 
there was so much shooting that it was well, most of the horses on the way that we took because we were by the river Rhine and we had to go to the middle from Einem in the center. So that whole street was totally on fire because okay. of the shooting. So, so at this point, your mother with three young children is walking through a city, a big city, 90,000 people, 100,000 people that's on fire. There's, there's shooting, there's yeah. a battle raging. At the, the part that I remember so well, the Oxfelder Plain, that's actually the center of Einem. And there was my, uh, my mother had a friend and we went to that hotel from her and that was not on fire yet but we had to actually walk over that bodies i mean soldiers and regular people i mean that that's that that was something that you don't forget that you, you were 10 years old and you, and you had to cross a square that was covered with people who had been shot or dead dead bodies or half that even remember that one was reaching out, you know, and an arm that I saw moving. Oh my goodness. And, I mean, that, that was terrible. And so That's horrifying, horrifying. That uh, hotel was she had, and we stayed there a night. And then we, my daddy said, we have, Arnhem has to leave. So the, all the people who were also in that hotel and us, there's still no father for us. And so we moved and we went up north and to Airbnb. They said that's safe right now. So, so, so Jenny, just to get it clear, Arnhem is on the, Arnhem is on the south side of the river. Um, the bridge they're fighting over crosses the river and you had to get to the other side. How did you get to the other side of the we river? No, we went up north. This bridge was to the south. Oh, the bridge was to the south. You lived on the north side of the bridge. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, I interrupted you. Carry no, on. <laughs> so then we went to AMB. That's where we stopped. And they had schools that they, you know, made ready for the people who came out of Ireland. And um, we stayed there a few days. But um, <laughs> this hotel... Uh, people, what they had taken with us was a lot of food and a lot of drinks. And all the people in the room or in the, the house we were in, they were, uh, you know, they were happy to drink some. And, <laughs> and, <laughs> and we as children, you know, we, we were so sad that we didn't know what to do, of course. And uh, then my grandparents, uh, they were, of course, older, and the Red Cross had taken them to Spakenburg. And that is a little uh, water fishing uh, by the Eiselmeer. Yeah, it's, it's a fishing village on, on the Eiselmeer, uh, uh, on, the, on the big lake there. It's yeah. well known as a fishing village. Yeah. And they, how, they, how far is this from Arnhem, approximately? Uh, that was um, after 68 miles. Yeah. So, so you walked all that no, way? No, no, no. We walked to Airbnb and that was 30 miles. No, kilometers. Okay. Well, 20 miles, give or take. Yeah. 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 That's, a, that's a kilometer and Airbnb. I think we slept two nights in different uh, schools 
that they opened up for us all. Oh, so they opened up school because there were uh, so thousands and thousands of people fleeing the, the area. Ireland was empty, you know, and so everybody, I don't think that many people stayed <laughs> in Ireland in that time. And so um, they knew that, you know, this whole <laughs> horde of people were coming. And so they made that, they put uh, bedding and stroll and stuff in, uh, in the schools so that we had a place to sleep. And then my grandparents, who were in Spakenburg, uh, knew somebody who still had a car and they came and picked us up out of Airbay. So then we went to Spakenburg. And, and th that would have been pretty rare because the Germans had confiscated a lot of cars. I don't know how they have how or what they he made it, but that, I don't think that in that time I questioned it. I mean, oh no, of course, no. you know, to, and to see my grandparents and the, these villages, these houses from the fishing people, they all have a little room next to where normal people come in and undress or take your boots off or whatever. And there was a stove there, a big stove, and they let us stay there. And um, that was, no, no, we are talking about October. And then they said, uh, oh, you know, you can stay here for a while. But in the meantime, I mean, still no father. Uh, the Germans came too close as well. So there was no food anymore. The fishing boat couldn't get out because when they went out and they came back, they immediately, you know, the, the Germans were there to uh, take the fish in. And so we were so hungry in that time. That I do remember. And I, I, yeah, I, for, for, for the listeners who, who may not be aware of this, um, of course, this is the start of the hunger winter, which yes. is known in Holland as the hunger winter. And uh, because of the um, the war situation, no food was coming in or hardly any food was coming in. So the people suffered tremendously from, yes. from starvation and, 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 and famine. Yes. That, that, and um, the, I do, and I told here in, and I never forget that that, you know, whatever you could suck on. In, in the meantime, my father, when we were Spakenburg, my father showed up. Do, do you um, remember how, how long after uh, you yeah, left Arnhem he, he came? Yeah, probably in November. In November. Yeah. So, so what had happened to him in the meantime? He was in a camp in, in Amersfoort. In, in, uh, in, the concentration camp in Amersfoort? Yeah. And so, but he escaped with a friend. But again, I heard that much later. You know, I mean, that of course, I yeah. To talk about it, he was so skinny and bloody, and and that I do remember. And but then the Germans uh, came so close by Spakenburg as well that we had to go in a big cellar. And but my father, and of course, maybe because of the fire brigade, I don't know. He said, this is too dangerous to stay here. He said, um, there are so many people in such a small area. He said, if something happened, none of us can escape here. So he took us and we started walking. 
Then we started working. When was this, uh, Yenny? Uh, what, what time of year was this? Um, January. So it, in winter, because it was a cold, harsh winter from what I uh, remember oh, yeah. uh, reading. Yeah, we, 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 it was a good thing that we had snow to, uh, to suck on. And my father uh, uh, cut always the pieces of his leather belt so that we could suck on it, that we had something in our mouths while we were walking. And of course, Magda, the youngest one, she was ill most of the time, so he had to carry her. And then we walked 50 miles and because the Germans were on the uh, top of the, uh, the dikes. And so we couldn't, uh, nobody was allowed to pass the Germans there. So we had to walk on the bottom of the dike, so close to the water. And, you know, and he said, we just keep on walking, we just keep on walking, and it was 50 miles. And then suddenly, I mean, we were so surprised that we saw um, jeeps and flags. And we, we said, oh, what is going on here? He said, well, you know, we are 11, we're free. The Germans are gone. So, we so, so you'd walked and you'd walked across the, uh, basically the front line. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that that was that I do have it. <laughs> I remember that we, you know, they said, "Oh my God, we made this, we made this bloody," and then the shoes were was was you know, pieces of paper then trying to to walk in them. Yes, because that's another thing, of course. Uh, not just food was scarce; um, leather was scarce, clothing was scarce, um, yeah, everything no, was miserable. You had on. You know, and if, if you walk three days, I mean, then there is uh, nothing left from uh, shoes anymore. And uh, so, but that, that we saw these jeeps and that, that I mean, that was such a... <laughs> so, so they were, were allied uh, soldiers uh, in those jeeps. Yeah. But, but, but that's after you had spent um, six months um, just, just trying to survive. Well, yeah. And the hunger winter, that is, that was not only where the, the, they were liberated already in Limburg, you know, that was the, the hardest part. And that the tanks could not come through the, uh, the soil that Holland had. I mean, they, they wanted to, but, but they all got stuck in, in, in the soil to come up to Nijmegen Island. They couldn't make it there. Yeah, and, and they were stuck behind the big rivers, of course, uh, that they couldn't cross. That was the problem. And and really, if you'd only lived maybe 10, 15 miles farther south, you would have been liberated before that winter. Right. <laughs> or, or if you'd been able to flee the other way. Yeah, well, the other way is only Germany. Yeah. No, I mean south. I mean, if you'd been able to walk south instead of well, north. Yeah, yeah. That's um, so. So one other thing, I, 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 so, so now you, you're liberated. The whole family is still together. You're, you're. Um, um, no, would you? Were you able to go back home? Uh, we stayed in Apeldoorn for a few weeks, and uh, the Red Cross uh, took us you now in different houses, and my father had to go back 
to Einen earlier, and uh, because of you know he was with the fire brigade, so he was they let him in, and uh, well because Einen was totally closed off. I mean no, nobody can say let, I'm gonna see if my house is still there. You know nobody was allowed. We were free, but I mean nobody could go into the city because the Germans took everything what they could find. In the, if you hear the stories with big trucks and uh, even uh, furniture and paintings and you know they took everything what they could find in the houses too, because it is only hundred kilometers over the border. Then you're in Germany. You know, yeah. Germany is 100 miles away, so the Germans, uh, when they were uh, going back, they tried as much as they, they could do. So, yeah, so, so so this whole city, city of Arnhem, had been emptied out of people, and, yes. and so before they left, the Germans looted whatever they could get their hands on and took it with them. Now, was your house still standing? No, no, one wall. <laughs> so, one wall was still there, but the rest was, you know, was all the rubbles, was all... Uh, so so you lost, as a child, you lost everything, you lost all your toys, you lost everything uh, yeah. that, that you'd had before before that battle started. And the school as well, the school was totally gone, and, you know, so there was nothing where you could go back to, really. And... Uh, and then you never know if your friends were still alive, or if you ever would see them again, you know, because uh, mm. even if you thought, oh, yeah, we free. I mean, it was still a very difficult time to uh, realize what really happened and, and you know. I, I imagine. And, and when, did, so after that, because this was, uh, the country was liberated, the whole country was liberated in May of 1945. And then I presume school started again in September. Yeah. Uh, is that when you, did you go to the same, I know the school building wasn't there, but did you go to the same, with the same kids, to the, with the same yeah. class? Yeah, because, you know, in that time in a place like Einem, you uh, walk to school normally, so you have always the same kids out of the neighborhood, you know, that you all work at walk at the same time. We had no buses. I mean, no buses. No, you walked to school. But they, they would have all also been uh, been evacuated. So you'd all been in different places uh, through the winter. Yeah. And you didn't go to school at all during the winter. There was, when we were in Spakenburg, there was, in, uh, there was a little town close to Spakenburg and it's called Bunsfoten. And mm -hmm. there was an, uh, an, uh, a Catholic priest and, you know, we were Catholic, and, and I don't think that we often went to the church there, but uh, he was saying that the kids could come, and then he would give us books to read. That's what he did in that time, but only, you know, maybe only in October, November, not more in December and January, when the no. whole winter started. Then I, we I understand. Then there to get the tulpa soup. You know, soup yeah, so so uh, there was a soup kitchen, um, but what they gave was really not very uh, nutritional. Uh, Tulip bulbs, you know. bulbs in the soup. 
yeah. uh, it was the only thing you could eat. Yeah. But but you do remember your very first real meal after the war. Yeah, and the hot dog. A hot dog. <laughs> Mommy, <laughs> Mummy passed the line, I told you, and then, you know, Mummy came to, to Appledoorn and the Red Cross, and he said, the Red Cross, he said, well, they said, you know, if you go to that and that store, the Americans have filled up this uh, kind of bread and, and these sausages, uh, what in Holland call the sausages, and it was the first thing that, that uh, and those are, you know, little things, but they, you remember that. Perfectly. That uh, that know. must have tasted like 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 cake or. Yeah. Oh, I don't remember. I only remember that we were so happy. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine. So, of course, a, a lot of civilians suffered, but a lot of soldiers were killed mm-hmm. after the war. Many soldiers, many Canadian soldiers, many American soldiers, many British, Polish soldiers were buried in and around Arnhem. Now, you you played a special role in that as well. Yeah. They asked us to, um, when we were back in school, and they said, well, all these graves for these soldiers, you know, it is so, I mean, they only had a little wooden cross. There was nothing else. And so they asked if we... uh, well, except to take care of one of those uh, soldiers. And I did. And um, Mark, that was uh, too young. I mean, by that time I was 10, 11, and then it was okay, you know, but not not younger kids. And so uh, we had one, and then every other one, we can't remember how often we went there. Because it is in Osterbeek and it's not directly uh, in Einem. And even, I think, bicycles, that we went on bicycles there and to clean the, uh, the area around it and put some flowers there. And uh, uh, I think a year later, they asked us if we wanted to have contact with uh, the family in England because all those soldiers were the, the English uh, parachute uh, who came on the 17th September, the 17th of September in Arnhem. They were all d- dropped in Arnhem and they were on our side of the Rhine and they tried to swim to the left, to the other side, but they couldn't make it. So we were all English soldiers there. And so we made contact and that woman, his uh, widow, they uh, were so happy to come to Holland and uh, we really had for years that we had contact with her even. She had one child, a three-year-old girl, and uh, when she died, even that daughter then uh, let us know that, that, you know, she passed away and she was never married in the meantime. Never remarried. You know, we had contact with her. You stayed in touch. You know, the first time when she saw that grave, I mean, I remember that so deep. And, uh, you know, knowing that that he's in there, you know, that that was a terrible time, of course, for her. I imagine, yeah. You know, so we both had not good times. So, yeah, you connect together. Yeah, I know. I understand. Yeah. Yeah. 
so Yeni, I, I think this was this was great. Thank you so much for for talking to us about this. I've got one final question, and I don't know if you if you can answer this, but you went through um, you know devastating experiences as a very young child. How did it affect your out? Did it affect your outlook on life? Um, the way you look at life. Um, how did it affect you um, uh, later on? Uh, my fear stayed for fire. I am so afraid of fire. I am so. I think that is something. Do you know if you get out of a house and you know the flames are above you, and do um, wow. the street or the whole street. And I will never have, a, don't like gas stoves. I need an electric stove, you know? I mean, those things, if I see a gas stove, then, then I get scared. When I see the flames, then that is something, yeah, that is all, has always stayed with me. And that I think by the upbringing from my parents and uh, the love we had in our house, and that, yeah, um, I, I don't have had really uh, mental problems after the, after the war. I only know it was there and I always talked about it. And, um, and that's why people said, well, that, no, if, my, if you age now, I mean, why don't you write it down? Otherwise, you kids, the kids, we, of course, know it, but the kids should know it too. So that's why I wrote that article and I send it to you. But, and, uh, and it's a very important uh, story to tell, especially, you know, uh, there's still wars going on. There's still kids yeah. having to go through those experiences, which is terrible, terrible yeah. of course. Yeah. So, well, but, well, thank you very much, Yeni, for wanting to share your story. Um, and, um, you know, I wish you all the best and, and thanks again. Okay. <laughs> I hope to see you and talk to you later. Okay. Okay. Well, there's a perspective through the eyes of a child, what wartime was like uh, in the Netherlands, one of the most pivotal points in history. And uh, just fascinating, Tom, and, and, and actually devastating as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and, you know, you got to uh, remember, there were 8 million people living in the Netherlands and, and, and Yeni's story is, is probably extreme, but it's not that extreme that not a lot more people uh, went through similar circumstances. Ordinary people like you and me and our kids, um, and, and it's happening elsewhere in the world at the moment. Uh, and, and, and that's one of the most devastating things that after that terrible experience of World War II and all the other experiences that were still, that some people still have to go through this, in different places, um, when I, when I, okay. So I'm I'm obviously too young to have experienced the war myself. But when I grew up in the Netherlands, and 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 this is uh, something I'd like to share is um, the war was only fifteen to twenty years ago. I grew up in the sixties and the seventies in the Netherlands. It was Every, recent. It was recent. You can't yeah. imagine how recent that is. That's more recent than uh, the nine eleven, for example. Exactly. And that's that seems indelible. Like I, I will never forget that in my whole life. Uh, just one generation before you lived a horror. And and every adult, every adult in my life, from my parents to my teachers to uh, sports coaches, they had all experienced 
things like Jenny was talking about. Jenny was talking about. Sorry, I do it again. Um, and um, uh, so, so when I started publishing the newspaper, the Dutch newspaper for immigrants, people said, "We've got to maintain these stories, keep these stories going." And I felt, "Yeah, we've got to keep these stories alive because I heard these stories from my teachers, my parents, <laughs> my friends' parents, every everyone, you know." And so, uh, what we did was we got. Um, I solicited um, people to uh, tell their life story, or at least their history of the war, um, and and write it down and send it to me. Well, sometimes you be careful what you ask for. I got more than two hundred submissions. Oh my god! Uh, from people, yeah, unbelievable, mm -hmm. right? Some of them were just you know half a page, one or two anecdotes. I remember. Um, when I had to go to the soup kitchen and stand in line and this is what happened and, and that was it. Some people sent in uh, 10, 15, 20 pages of narrative about the whole war from start to finish. Well, what, what I did was I collected all those stories and I published them in a series of books, nine books in total, um, each about a specific theme. And, and one of the books, not surprising, is about Arnhem, about Market Garden, about mm. what people went through. And, and it touches very close to home as well, because my mom um, was living uh, in a small town just outside of Arnhem. And she describes how one evening they went to bed and there were German uh, tanks in their street. And the next morning they woke up and they went outside to pump some water uh, from the pump uh, because everything had you know been been broken down because of the war there wasn't water and electricity and everything and she said americans there were americans in her street uh, and and they were liberated they were on the right side of the rivers but yenny ended up on the wrong side of the river and that was a huge difference because it, that's evacuation, when starvation displacement yeah, exactly uh, and, yeah. and 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 also, the people who, unlike Yanni, were not uh, evacuated and, and were not staying with strangers, even if they stayed in their own homes, the Germans had cut off all food supplies. Rations were down to, take, figure this, 400 calories a day. Oh, my God. It, was all it seems day. impossible that you could live any period of time on that, that few calories. Well, and, and that's, of course... Uh, the sad thing, people couldn't. So, and, and even if they had the ration, they could not always get the food. I was going to uh, say they were they were augmenting what they couldn't even get with tulip bulbs and roots and and uh, exactly uh, many you wouldn't eat today. And 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 you know uh, there was a famine, literally a famine, and more than twenty thousand people died in the cities of Amsterdam, The Hague, in the western part of the Netherlands. The people that didn't have access to farms um, and 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 food like that. A lot of them went out uh, in, in the harsh, colder winter, uh, walking on shoes that had not been fixed for uh, four and a half, five years, um, clothes that were totally insufficient for what they were doing. They didn't have transportation. They didn't have bicycles. They just walked and went to farmers and begged for some help. And that's, that's why um, people talked about it so much when I was uh, when I was a kid it was just such an emotional and deeply disturbing experience that they went through um, and, you know th there's even fallout in the next generation kids that were born in 1945 from mothers who lived through the hunger winter the hunger winter is what we call it in Holland right have a higher risk of a whole number of diseases including oh, diabetes no. obesity um, oh. mental illness these were kids that weren't even born 
but were uh, gestating uh, during that uh, winter. Anyway, um, I, I, we could you probably talk about this for many, many episodes well, uh, of I'm the sure podcast. We will. And, 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 and we'll bring on other guests who, who can talk about this for sure. Well, that sounds like a great idea, Tom, because, uh, frankly, it is fascinating to put a perspective on the Netherlands through the eyes of, as you say, uh, just a very short time ago, the, the focus was survival uh, during one of the most horrific times in the history of civilization. And uh, so on that note, I'm sure that that has had impact on almost everything in the Netherlands, and I'm sure it will come up again. Uh, and, and it's also, Mike, one of the reasons that the Dutch love the Canadians so, because the Canadian soldiers played such a pivotal role in the liberation of the Netherlands, um, and, and they are remembered and, and revered for that still. Good stuff, Canada. Well done. Spoken as a good old Canadian boy. Uh, definitely you feel that love when you go to the Netherlands. Um, everywhere that I went in the Netherlands, uh, to know that you were Canadian was a delight uh, to the people that you met. So, Well, well uh, maybe this episode put that in perspective for you a little bit. Now you understand why? I, I really do. Uh, what a devastating time. And to know that Canada played a part in, in uh, providing some relief during those times does make me proud. There's no two ways about that. And, 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 and rightly, rightfully so. All right. Now, listen, uh, before we wrap up, I will tell you this. Uh, our delightful host, Tom, has written an amazing book. Uh, there is a book that uh, we want to talk about today as well, but I will, I'll start with yours, uh, Tom. Uh, please check out uh, uh, Riding in Plain Bike. Sorry, what is the name of the book again? <laughs> Hiding in Plain Sight Bike. That's what I said. I think I that's what I said. That's what you said, yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, which is a really uh, amazing book about uh, Dutch life uh, uh, here in North America, how it's extended itself into many fascinating facets of our life that are hiding in, in plain sight. Uh, also, another book that we wanted to plug today, Tom, yeah, it's, I just mentioned it, right? Um, it's um, it's the book series about World War II uh, with okay. the memories of 200 people who survived the war. Uh, in particular, I'd like to point, if, if this episode really um, uh, resonated with, uh, with you, um, Caught in the Crossfire, it's um, number seven in the series, but they can be purchased separately and they can be read separately. They're all individual stories. Together, they build a whole picture of the occupation in the Netherlands, but every single book, uh, we have one about the Holocaust, we have one about resistance, we have one about uh, the hunger winter, of course, uh, we have one about liberation. Uh, every one of those books collects a number of stories, anywhere from 15 to, to 30 or 40 memories of, of the wartime in the Netherlands. You'll find them at DutchTheMedia.com, which, by the way, is where you can reach out to us as well. And uh, we would encourage your comments and stories and ideas for future podcasts. And I think with that, we wrap up another one. Thanks, Tom. Absolutely. Thanks, Mike. It was a very interesting um, episode. Listen, thanks so much for uh, lining Yenny up today. That was fascinating. And uh, thank you. We'll see you next time. Okay. See you next time.